0: Growing up, we did not have what I would call an elaborate Christmas, but we had great Christmases. We would decorate a tree, of course, and then we had this Santa. He stood about this tall, and he kind of had this velvet Santa suit on, and he had a beard that looked like it was actually real hair. I know it wasn't, but it was, it was like a, an actual miniature Santa. It was so cool. And then, of course, we had a nativity that we always set out, and that was pretty much it it was pretty simple the decorations around our house and you know especially contrasting with today I mean today people go to extremes to decorate for Christmas a lot of you I know channel your inner Clark Griswold to light up your house and your garage and your trees and your bushes and even all your yard with all the things that say Christmas If you go back to the very first Christmas, we might be surprised. I mean, it had its elaborate moments. I mean, we think about how the angels lit the sky up to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. But outside of that, most of the first Christmas was pretty simple. It was just about this newborn king named Jesus. When I think about Christmas as a kid, for me, I have these great memories. I mean, really remarkable. It it was more about the music and the food and the sharing of gifts and just being together than it was about any, you know, decorations or anything like that. The focus was really about what was important, Jesus. It was much simpler then. But simple didn't mean less because in my mind, I still have all of these treasured memories of all of those Christmases. It was really remarkable. Sometimes less is actually more. Simply Christmas is a new series we're starting today where we introduce ourselves to some key characters in the very first Christmas story. And though, this is the birth of a Messiah, the one promised for centuries. It was actually a pretty modest event. It lacks all the pageantry that you might expect would accompany the coming of a new king, the birth of the Messiah. But keep in mind that the infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-everywhere God could have brought Jesus into the world a million different ways, but he chose for him to come as a baby. And though this simple story that we're going to look at, we're going to meet some average people who played some really key roles in this simple event. And this whole thing, it will change the world. It's human nature, though, to assess a situation that if there's no important people or influential people there, then it must not be all that significant. But if you thought that about this event, the first Christmas, you would be terribly wrong. You see, this story is simple, but that doesn't mean it's unimportant. This story is about the most significant event In all of history, it's about the birth of Jesus. So if you have your Bible and you're following along on the app, turn to Matthew, the third chapter. We're going to start with uh, Matthew, the second chapter. We're going to start with verses 1 through 12 today. In this text, we meet a group that are sometimes called the Magi and sometimes they're called the wise men. This is what we read about them in verse 1. It says after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. The truth is about this group of guys, what scholars tell us is they just really don't know a whole lot about them. In fact, that word in Greek, Magos, is where we get the word Magi from. It can be translated wise men as well. It's It tells us about as much about these guys as we're going to know. The term loosely referred to a wide variety of men who were interested in some kind of bizarre things, things like dreams, astrology, magic, or books thought to contain mysterious references about the future. They studied these kinds of things. This group known as the Magi, or wise men, they coalesced around these kind of odd topics. It seems as though these men were led to Bethlehem through an astrological calculation. This may, have prompted, this may have been prompted by expectations of a king that they read about in various Jewish books. Matthew points out that the Magi were from the east, Possibly they were from Babylon. There was a large grouping or a settlement of Jews that lived in Babylon. And they had considerable influence in that region. They may have been from Persia or possibly somewhere in the Arabian desert. But when they arrived in Jerusalem, we read this in verse 2. It says, and asked... Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. God gave the Magi a special sign. Oh, they focused on the stars, they studied them, but there was something that appeared that was different, it was unique. It was a miraculous star that announced the birth of this new king. A star that blazed across the sky, pointing the way to the Son of God. And they follow it. And where it leads them is the city of Jerusalem. Now here's the key point. One of the key points in this talk is this. The Magi put forth tremendous effort to find this king of the Jews. There's something a bit ironic about the situation where these Gentiles, who are foreigners, who go to great lengths to bring the good news to Jerusalem that the king of the Jews has been born. And Matthew actually makes the contrast in this text between these magi, these Gentiles, who come to worship the new king of the Jews while the leaders and the people of Jerusalem were largely indifferent and mostly unaware of his existence. What we can learn from the Magi is this. Do whatever it takes to know Jesus. Do whatever it takes to know Jesus. This group of wise men, they weren't Jews, but they were seeking the king of the Jews. It's estimated that they traveled at least 500 miles, maybe even further than that. And traveling through the desert by caravan with no major detours or disruptions, this journey would have probably taken them somewhere around 50 to 60 days to make. And they paid the whole tab for this entire journey themselves. The Magi invested a great amount of personal effort and wealth in order to meet this new king. So here's the question I want us to ponder for a moment. Do you and I have the same passion to know Jesus as the Magi did? Do we have the same desire? Do we have the same passion to know him like the wise men? In 1949, it is estimated there were somewhere around a million Christians in the country of China. That was the year that Mao Zedong and his communists took over the country. In 1951, all the missionaries were forced out of the country. And in the time that immediately followed, many Christians were persecuted. As a result, many recanted their faith in Jesus, and those who wouldn't renounce, many of them were killed. Some estimated that there may have been as few as 100,000 believers left at that time. And many people believed that the church would eventually die in China because of these persecutions. Peter Shu was converted as a young man. And this began one of the most amazing stories of the underground church of China. You see, Peter began to share about Jesus with those who lived in his village. And before long, the entire village had been converted Because this was illegal at the time, he was forced to leave his village. So he went to another village, and the same thing happened. Large numbers of people in that village came to Christ as well. And at that point, a movement of God known as the Chinese Underground Church was born. No experts really know exactly the number of Christians in China today, but they estimate that there are somewhere around 80 million to 130 million Christians today. Much of them are involved in what's known as the Chinese underground church because of one man, Peter Shu, who had a passion for God and a passion that others might know him as he was privileged to know him. What links would you go to to know God? And how far and how much would you invest in order for other people to know him like you've been privileged to know him? Then the Magi, if we jump back to the text, then the Magi, explained how and why they came. We read this in the last part of verse two. It says this. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They took, it took them to Jerusalem, the star that is. It brought them to Jerusalem where they began asking questions about where they might find this new king because they wanted to worship him. Now, if you're a Jew living in Jerusalem, this probably doesn't make a lot of sense. People from the east, Gentiles from afar, come and they're looking for a new king you haven't heard anything about. But they want to worship him. They want to worship him. Probably left a lot of people scratching their heads. But one person that it didn't, was Herod. The Magi's desire to worship this new king, it deeply troubled King Herod. We read this in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When this caravan of Magi arrived in Jerusalem and they started asking about a new king, which started to create some trouble in the whole city, Matthew explains that Herod was bothered by the question of the Magi, but also this troubled all of Jerusalem. Now, the people weren't troubled for the same reasons that Herod was. Herod was a paranoid mess. In fact, in the past, his paranoia had led him to murdering his own wife and two of his own sons. The people of Jerusalem, they wouldn't have lost one week of sleep if Herod had been replaced. They were troubled though by the questions about this new king of the Jews because they knew it would likely cause Herod to inflict more cruelty upon them. And they were right to be concerned about that. Herod would later take steps to try to eliminate in a brutal way this new born king of the Jews. The Magi met with Herod, which would be natural to do if they are looking for the most recent king born of the Jews. This news, though, freaked Herod out. And he called together all the religious leaders to find out where the prophets predicted that the Messiah would be born. Listen to what we read in verses 4 through 6. He says, when, they, when he had called together all the, people, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. The Old Testament points to Bethlehem as the place where the Messiah would be born. These scholars were quoting Micah, the fifth chapter, verse two, which they clearly believed to be a reference to the Messiah. And this was a big deal because you see the Messiah was the one that God had promised would come to earth to set man free and he was gonna set us free, not from Roman occupation, something far worse from our sins that could condemn us to death for all eternity. This is just one of many of the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah found in Micah chapter five, verse two. I mean, there are so many of them. Here's just a few. The Messiah would be born of a virgin was prophesied in Isaiah, the 7th chapter, verse 14. The Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, prophesied in Genesis 49, verse 10. The Messiah would be heir to King David's throne, prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 7. The Messiah would, would spend a season in Egypt, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. The Messiah would be called a Nazarene, Isaiah chapter 11, 11. Verse one: The Messiah would be betrayed. Psalms 41, verse nine. and the Messiah's betrayal money would be used to buy a potter's field, Zechariah 11, verses 12 through 13. These are just a few of the prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus, and yet the list goes on and on. Actually, there are over 60 prophecies about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled. Every single one of them. This birth, this prophecy about this birth, it was just the beginning. The birth had been predicted long before it happened. And God had a plan, a plan to redeem mankind. And he had communicated parts of it for hundreds of years through these prophecies. The scholars and the experts of the Old Testament law, they knew these prophecies. So when Herod asked, where would the Messiah be born? They knew immediately. That's an easy one, Herod. It's Bethlehem. The birth of Jesus, the king of the Jews, was the main theme in the early chapters of the book of Matthew. But there's another storyline that's happening here. It's happening at the same time. We see it in chapter two. Matthew clues us in on. It's the storyline that focuses on King Herod and what's going on with him. Look at verses seven and eight. It says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go And worship him. Herod is historically known as Herod the Great. But let's be honest, he doesn't seem great in this account. His insecurities and his paranoia caused him to secretly try to pinpoint where this new king of the Jews, the one that he knows is most likely the Messiah, Where is this child located? You see, he doesn't see this new king as the potential Messiah. Or at least he doesn't seem to care much about that. But rather, he sees it as a rival. We learn later that he wants to eliminate the competition and he will go to gruesome lengths to try to eradicate this threat to his throne. Later, we learn that a Angel will visit Joseph, instructing him in a dream. And this is what he says Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Herod wanted the wise men to be accomplices in this, to help him locate this baby under the roost that. He too wanted to go and worship this new king. But an angel warned the Magi as well in a dream. They were told not to return to update Herod. And so they headed for home when their encounter with Jesus was over. They went a different route, bypassing Herod. Here's a key point. Satan will always work against the plans of God. Always. Satan is in a furious fight to disrupt and derail the work God is doing in and through his people. Never forget that. If you are doing something in the name of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, it's largely, it's it's very, very largely possible that Satan's gonna oppose that. So when facing off with our spiritual enemy, keep two things in mind. First, always take Satan seriously. He has significant power. He doesn't have all power like God does, but he has power. So never underestimate him. And secondly, always remember that God is the supreme authority over Satan. He's over everything, but that includes Satan. John writes in 1 John 4, 4, the last part, he says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And praise God for that. We live in a fallen world, so be prepared. Bad things can happen. Doesn't mean they always will. But it means they can. But don't be discouraged. There's an old saying, maybe you've heard it. I've read the end of the book, and they're talking about this book. I've read the end of the book and we win. Don't ever forget that. Well, the wise men first went to Jerusalem because they thought that's the natural place that you would find the king of the Jews. That's probably the best place to find where he would be born. They didn't find the new king there, but they did learn that they were looking in the wrong place. And once they learned that Bethlehem was where they'd find this new king, they head there immediately. Matthew says that when they leave, that the star reappeared until it stopped over the place where the child was. Matthew commented in verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And I think seeing the star, it, it told them that they were back on course. And before long, they would see this new king. I think God wants to remind all of us that he wants us to know the Messiah too. Not like Herod would know him, but like the Magi would. There are three examples that we get from the Magi that we should follow. Pay attention to. The first one is this. Do whatever it takes to meet Jesus. Do whatever it takes to meet Jesus. The Magi took a 500-mile trip, at least 500, may have been even longer. And it took them 50 to 60 days or more in order to see this new king of the Jews. And they weren't even Jewish, but they were motivated. They spent their time, their money, and even physical effort just to go to worship this little guy named Jesus Jesus. He was only maybe a couple years old at that point. They weren't even clear for most of the trip where, where exactly they were going. But that, not even that stopped them. But that committed, they were that committed to having an audience with Jesus. They wanted to know him. And I want to encourage you From their example to us. Be that committed to knowing Jesus yourself more each and every day. Well, there's a second example that they gave us that I think would be good for us to follow, and that is that when you encounter Jesus, worship him. Worship him. Verse 11 says... On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They worshiped him. Jesus was a king, but he was much more than that. He was the promised Messiah. If he was worthy of worship from a band of Gentiles who were from a far off land, then surely he is worthy of our worship. After everything Jesus has done for us, he deserves all of our worship. So when you encounter Jesus, worship him. Example number three. Give Jesus your finest. The last part of verse 11 says this. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. Bringing gifts was particularly important to those who were from the ancient east when they were meeting someone who was significant, someone of high stature. Gold was always and has always been a valuable metal. Frankincense was a glittering fragrant sap obtained by making incisions in the bark of several different trees. And myrrh comes from a tree also. This tree was found in Arabia, which was a very valuable spice and perfume. All three of these gifts were extremely valuable. Some Bible commentators suggest that these gifts have a symbolic value. Gold suggests royalty. It was a gift fit for a king. Frankincense frankincense suggests divinity, which means that this this child was God in the flesh. This gift would have been valuable and worthy of reminding us that He is worthy of our worship. And then myrrh, myrrh foreshadowed His burial. This gift was kind of strange. It's extremely valuable, but who brings embalming oil to a baby shower? It's just kind of strange. Truthfully, it's not likely that the wise men intended any of that symbolism. They just brought gifts that were simply expensive and very valuable. You see, the giving of valuable gifts communicated importance. In 1988, I did something that I rarely do. I was buying my wife jewelry. And if you know me very well, you know that I don't venture out into that arena hardly ever. But in 1988, I did. I wanted to buy my wife a pair of diamond earrings, because our first child, Bailey, was going to be born that summer. And I wanted to give Ann a gift to kind of commemorate that. I mean, this was our first child. And I wanted Ann to know, because of something that I was going to do, and I was going to do it all on my own, I wanted her to know how grateful I was for everything that she was going through in order for us to have this new member of our family. Anne had no idea that I was doing this. She probably would have put a stop to it. But I started saving money months and months before Bailey's birth. I would get a certain amount of spending money each week and I would save most of it. And then I would perform a few weddings along the way and I, I saved that money And then I even took some of my birthday money that I'd gotten previously, and I added that in. And then I asked a friend who used to work in the jewelry business if he would help me make a good purchase. And then I found the perfect pair of earrings with his help. And I knew they were perfect. I knew that Ann would love them, and I also knew that I could return them if at some point it became crystal clear that she did not like them, or I had no idea what she truly liked. When I finally gave her the gift, she opened it, and she was really surprised. And I was pumped up on the inside because it made her so happy. I'm certain at that moment she knew how grateful I was for her. I would do this all again four years later when Natalie was born. In my opinion, I believed with all my heart, and I still believe it today, that my wife, Anne, she deserved those gifts. She's worth it. I wonder when we think about Jesus, God's Son, coming to redeem. Mankind, but think about it in a personal sense. He came to redeem me. He came to redeem you. He, he went to the cross to pay the price that we couldn't pay for our sins, but he could. He certainly is worthy of every expression of our gratitude that we could show him. You know, as a young man, I learned about the gifts that a person can give to God. And I remember them simply as the four T's. I I see them today as the four T's of gratitude, but I've known them my whole life basically as the four T's. Gift number one, give God the best of your time. The first T, time. Time is precious. It's the one thing that we only have a limited amount of. We can't get any more. You can earn more money, you can can build more things, you can buy more things, but time is a limited amount. So don't give God the leftovers. Give him the best of your time. Give him the time when you're fresh, when you're rested. Give him the very best of your time. Gift number two, give him the best of your talents. You know, all of us have talents, And a talent is just something that we're good at, something that we can do that might be better than others. And if you're a Christ follower, every one of us have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of advancing God's kingdom. Give God your talents and your gifts by using them for kingdom purposes. That's another gift you can give to him. And then gift number three. Give him the best of your testimony. Every Christian has a testimony. A testimony is just that story of how you came to Jesus and the difference that he's made in your life since then. Every Christian can give God his testimony or her testimony by simply sharing it with someone else. People need to see that a life lived with meaning and purpose is a life lived with Jesus. That's where real meaning and purpose come from. So tell your story, share someone with someone, your testimony. And then gift number four, give him the best of your treasure. In this text, we see the magi giving these valuable gifts to Jesus. I mean, think about it. They heard about him in some books possibly or from the testimony of some Jews in Babylon or some other place and they saw in the sky a star and they got together some of the most expensive gifts and they made a 500 plus mile trip over the course of two months in order to worship him and give him these treasures. We can all do something like that. All of us have resources that we can use for God's purposes. 2020 has been challenging, a challenging year financially for everybody. But it's been especially challenging for churches all around the world. And Northeast is no different. But I want you to know something about Northeast. As a church, we want to walk by faith. We're trusting that God is going to provide for everything that we need. And we have seen him provide for us time and time again over the last several years. Our elders and our staff have been praying recently, asking God to provide for this church, the needs that we have for this church. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So recently, we've been praying every day at 3.10 p.m. for God to meet our needs. Now, Malachi 3.10 is the reason we're praying at 3.10. This is what Malachi 3.10 says. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What a powerful verse. And we've been praying through that verse Every day at 310. Now a tithe is simply an offering of 10% of a person's income. And God says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe to the church. And then he says to test him. He challenges us to give a tithe. And then watch him pour out his blessings. So much so there's not going to be enough room to store it. He challenges us. He challenges us I truly believe that if you take him up on this challenge you'll discover that God will do more with 90 percent than you or I will ever do with a hundred percent so consider testing him this is the test start tithing and then watch for his blessings when you realize what Jesus has done for us, we have far more motivation to give him our very best, to give him our finest. So give God the gifts of your time, your talents, your testimony, and your treasure. I want to close with this. This story of the first Christmas is about the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who will enter history and the world will never be the same. For 2,000 years, people have been giving their lives to this Messiah, Jesus, because he changes lives. He takes people from darkness and he moves them into light. He takes them from death and he gives them life, what he calls abundant life, but it's also eternal life. And it goes on forever. The Messiah was the one who God sent into the world to save the world, to redeem it from its sin. And if you've never accepted God's grace, you can be set free from your sin. You can be set free from the guilt that comes with it. And it all happens through a personal relationship with Jesus. If you wanna explore this, I want to encourage you to take a step by filling out the connect card at www.ncclex.org connect. Or you can always send a message to notes to Monty at ncclex.org. And we'll follow up with you. We'll be the one to reach out. If you send us that contact, we want to talk to you about this because we don't want you to miss out on the awesome life that God has for you when you live this life in conjunction with a relationship with him. He changes everything and you will never, never regret making him the Lord of your life. It's great to have you with us today. We hope this is the beginning of a remarkable Christmas season for you. Hey, it's weird, isn't it, because of all of the changes because of the virus. But don't let that steal your joy. God is in control and we're glad you're joining us. We look forward to seeing you again next week, right back here. God bless.
1: I love this story, church. Like many of you, I love the Christmas season and even more so, I love the stories that surround the birth of Jesus, and I hope that you were encouraged today, and and maybe even challenged. And if you were, would you just reach out to us um, right now? I mean, just putting an emoji hand up in the chat, or or saying, uh, yeah. I mean, we would love to like connect. If you if you're looking like, how do I take a next step? How do I reach out? How do I how do I take a next step of faith in my journey? Maybe it's the first step. Maybe it's the the hundredth step. Our online hosts would absolutely love to connect with you today. And as always, you can always connect with us over at the website, ntclex.org slash connect. Or you can always send us a note to notes to money at ntclex.org. Now listen, we have worshiped together today in, in many ways. We've already been singing and praying in scripture um, and fellowship. Yes, even online fellowship. Um, but we also always leave this time open at the end to worship through a gift of Generosity, And every single week we hear stories of how God is working here at Northeast. And we've already talked about it multiple times, but like none of that happens without you, without without owners taking a step of faith and saying, yes, I wanna be a part of life change in this community. I wanna be a part of what Northeast is doing beyond these walls and inside of these walls. And no matter how you give, if it's if it's text to give, if you give online, if you if you drop it off in the mail, it really doesn't matter. We just want to say thank you. And if you would like to take that, that step today, if you're watching on NCClex.tv, actually you're going to see a give button right there in the chat. You can click and it's going to take you to, to a place and show you how to do that. Um, you can always give online and there's always more information over there at NCClex.org. Uh, slash info. Now one last thing I have before we go is to remind everyone about our annual congregation meeting coming up next week, December 6th. Uh, in fact, you can actually head over to ncclex.org slash annual meeting where you can get more information and you can check out the bios of the of the other candidates. So just take just a minute today and, and go check that out before before next week. We'll try to get some, we're gonna get some more information to you um, leading up to that. Now that's all we have today, but hey, we look forward to seeing you guys right back here next week for week two of Simply Christmas.